So we, this is the second installment of, the, of this series that we are calling Pillar Talk. It's not a pillar talk as in a pillow, but it's pillar talk as in pillars. I'm from Virginia, so that's the way we used to talk. But that's not what this is, all right? So, um, so for those of you that are married, this might hit you right where you are because you're married. And then there's some of you here that you're single. And listen, if you're single, you want to lean in during this series because this is your classroom to learn what a successful marriage will be. And you want to work on you, on you so you understand the laws of a successful marriage, the rules that will help you build a strong marriage. You want to become the right somebody. You don't want to just be looking for the right somebody. All right? And you can use this as a barometer when you're dating to find the right somebody. How are they treating you? What kind of person are they? So I want you to lean in. And then as I mentioned last week, we're basing this series off of a great book that I, that I read. Now, I don't agree with everything in any book that I read, except for the Bible. But, um, but this is an amazing foundation for a powerful marriage. It's called The Four, foundation, or the Four Laws of Love by Jimmy Evans. And a lot of what you're going to hear during this series comes from Jimmy, Jimmy Evans and his book. Um, so last week, we actually looked at Genesis, which is our theme verse, uh, 24 and 25. And we know that God made man and woman. He called them husband and wife. And as soon as he made them, he said these things over marriage. He said a man will leave his father and mother. In other words, he will prior, they will prioritize each other. That's what we talked about last week. And, and for some of us, last week's message may have been a little bit hard. Because in the area of priority and prioritizing of the other person, sometimes we face some challenges. And those challenges, the, it can be that sometimes it feels like prioritizing your spouse is not that warning. There are other things that you could give your time, energy, and money to that you think, well, I'd get better return if I, if I give it to them. And for some of you, you've been serving and serving your spouse, and you feel like they're just not keeping up, right? You're the only one serving, or they're not seeing the things that you're doing, right? And that can actually be devastating. When you think about the priority, I want you to think about this. There is no greater relationship on planet, human relationship on the planet, other than a marriage relationship. And the number one way to become successful in a marriage relationship is to put that relationship as number one. Make it the top priority of all your relationships in your marriage. You've got to fight to keep that priority. I love this. In, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, it says, Above all, above all, love each other deeply. And showing deep love for each other, it's different than actually feeling deep love. We talked about this last week. You see, we show love a lot of times before we even feel it. And sometimes you got to faith it till you make it. Is that right? Sometimes we serve each other by faith. We invest in each other by faith. We pursue by faith. Just knowing that you're doing the right thing. And, know, and, and that the feelings will come later. See, love is deeper than in love. It's more sacrificial, it's more investing, it's more permanent, it's deep, it's wholeness, it's not just a feeling, all right? So last week we talked about priority of love and how to effectively put yourself or your spouse first in the relationship. So today we're going to talk about a totally different topic, and today, and I guarantee you this is a message for every single one of us. It's going to help you become a better friend, a better boss, a better employee, uh, a better spouse, a better parent. 
we're going to talk about something that every one of us needs to focus on. This week, we are going to talk about the second pillar, which is pursuit, okay? Now, this comes from Genesis chapter 2, where God actually says in the garden, all right, that we talked about a man will leave his mother and father and is united to his wife. Now, that word united is what we're going to look at today, okay? And this word united in the original Hebrew language, it is the, the word davak, and it simply means to pursue closely, all right? So a husband and wife, they need to be united, or in other words, to pursue each other closely. Now, when you pursue your spouse, you, you know, you pursued your spouse before you got married, right? It's usually because of that feeling we talked about of in love, but you pursued them already. And what were you in pursuit of? You were, guys, we're in the pursuit of the girl. We're out to get her, Right? And lady, what are you in pursuit of? You know, the ring, the wedding, the man. We pursued each other to the point that we got what we pursued. Now watch this. As soon as the married, the wedding happened and we set our IDs, our I do's, the problem is we feel like we finished the, the, the finish line. Okay? And let's just all be honest. We were pursuing because we wanted someone. We wanted someone or something. In the beginning of a dating relationship, let's just be honest, it's a selfish pursuit. I've never heard of a, uh, a marriage or a relationship where one or the other person is like, you know, I don't really care for them that much. You know, I don't really have any feelings for them. But, you know, I just really, I just really want to help them out with their life. They could really use a spouse. And so I, I'm going to fall, you know, I'm going to take the bullet and I'm just going to pursue them even though there's nothing in it for me. No, your pursuit was not just about your spouse, it was about you and what you wanted. And here's what happens, is once we have the wedding, we have the rings, all right? So you got the wedding, the guy, the girl. Now we stop the pursuit because we already got what I was pursuing. And we don't realize there's something else to pursue now. We have to make a, make a switch in our thinking, in our pursuit from being self-centered now you got to be other-centered, and that's where the sparks fly, right? That's where we get to where we, uh, to where if we don't switch the pursuit from what I want to pursuing what our spouse needs, then we have a problem. And I want to encourage you to move out of selfishness today, all right? Because here's what happens when you do that. You're actually, you're considering the other person's needs and, and here's the thing that I want you to see, is that marriage never works for selfish people. It never works out for selfish people. Selfish people, selfish people are usually awful at marriage. They're terrible at marriage. Why? Because they're totally occupied with themselves. They don't care about the other one's needs. They want to be first. They want to be in control. They want to win. They want to dominate. Selfish people are terrible at marriage. You see, when I am at my worst in our marriage is when I am the most selfish. You have a 100% chance of failing at marriage if you only care about yourself. Marriage never works for selfish people. And this is why those of you that are single, you don't want to marry a selfish person. Okay? When I wanted Melissa to be all about me, when I wanted her to do what I wanted to do, 
when I was more interested uh, in me and her being about me and serving me and complying to my expectations, when I was selfish, our marriage struggled all the time. And so some people just, you know, there, there are people that are selfish regardless, selfish bosses, employees, teammates. Who wants to play side by side with somebody who hogs the ball? Or doesn't, doesn't give 100%. Or is always taking all the credit. You know who I'm talking about. Watch this. In 1 Corinthians 13, 5, it says, it's, this is talking about love. It says, it does not dishonor others and it is not self-seeking. The number one problem in relationships is selfishness. I've done some marriage counseling. I've been in marriage counseling myself. And I'll tell you, that, that I, and I learned this, that everybody is always pointing the finger at each other. When two married people are struggling, it's, they're almost always pointing the finger at the other person. He did this and she does this. But can I tell you, it usually it takes two. We've got to stop pointing the finger at the other person and point it back at us and deal with our own selfishness. It is this vicious cycle and look, when neither one are willing to step up and to break that cycle and be the first one, that's, the, that's what we're afraid of, right? We don't want to be the first one. And look, it will change. Well, Micah, what if they take advantage of that? What if I change and they don't, and they just take advantage of how selfless I am? Well, first of all, that almost never happens. Because here's the thing. When one person changes and changes consistently, the other person is usually reacting and they will usually change because they're reacting to you. So if you start acting different, they will react differently. So which one is the strongest one? Which one is the most mature? Hmm. See, my tendency as a husband is to bring up her flaws and not deal with my own. It doesn't do any good to bring up her flaws. I can't change her. I can barely change myself. I need to focus on me. You see, pride always comes before the fall. 1 Corinthians 13, 4, back up one verse, it says, love does not boast. It is not proud. In other words, it's not self-seeking. I'm not constantly trying to get her to meet my needs. We're not dominating each other, trying to get them to meet our needs. Pride always wants to win. And dominance is simply trying to get power over somebody else to make them behave a certain way. See, we got to focus on changing us. Marriage, a, a strong marriage never comes from pride or selfishness. And look, success is different than a, for a lot of different people. I remember having a job in high school. I worked at this pizza shop, CJ's Pizza. And I remember working in the CJ's Pizza and, and mopping the floors. And I had this picture of what success would be. And I thought, man, if I could just be a manager, I'd get to tell everybody what to do. I'd have all the authority. You know, I, it just looked sweet from the side of the fence I was on. And then eventually I did work my way up in high school and I became one of the managers. And as soon as I got all the authority that I thought was what I was looking for, I didn't realize the responsibility and the pressure that was on a manager. I got a small pay bump, but I just remember thinking, how could I get back to mopping the floors again? Could I just go back to doing that? You know, to being an employee, just an employee without all the pressure, because I didn't understand the universal law of leadership is, look, when you're a good leader anyway, that comes with the heart of a servant. You see, my heart as a pastor, my job as a pastor is to serve my staff and our leaders and you. Some of you that own businesses, people say, oh, it'd be amazing to own my own business. I just do whatever I want. 
And all the business owners laughed. Because you know all the pressures that come with that. Everybody else gets to go on vacation, turn work off. But you guys know what it's like. You may sit, be sitting on a beach, but you're not, you, have, you can't turn it off. Because there's things you still think about. There's things I think about on vacation. And here's the thing. Is when we think, I can't wait till other people think, serve me. That's a worldly mindset of success. In the world, what we think is, man, when I get successful, other people will serve me. Once I get successful, everybody else will do whatever I want them to do. I get to be the boss. <laughs> no. Jesus understood it. He said in Mark chapter 10 and verse 42, he said, you know that those that are regarded as rulers, the leaders of the Gentiles, lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. But he says, not so with you. Instead, and this is a lesson from Jesus that if we put, to, put it to use in our marriages, it will change everything. Whoever wants to become the greatest among you must be your servant. Or must be your servant. He came and he served us. How? By dying on a cross. He's modeled servanthood for us. In Philippians, it says he didn't consider equality with God. Or something to be hold on, held on to. Or something to be grasped. Or something to be pursued. Watch this. This is crazy. He took on the nature of a servant. Obeying God even until death on a cross. One of the most powerful things that you can grasp in marriage is the power of serving. Pursuit to serving. When we're not pursuing each other, we're not serving each other. And listen, if you're not serving your spouse... Somebody else will. I've seen people be married for a while, and one of them will actually find, they'll find somebody. <clears throat> and what happens is the needs are not getting met. Sexual, emotional, security, whatever it is. You see, man's number one need is honor. Or it's not sex, that's close second, but it's honor and respect. Okay? And that's his number one need. A woman's number one need is usually, uh, based upon studies, is not communication, gentleness, although those are very high up there. They're important. Affection, that type of thing. Her number one need, they say, is security. And so here's what happens. A person who is wanting honor or respect or security but not getting it from their spouse, what happens is somebody else begins to serve them in a way, at work or wherever they are, that meets the emotional needs of that other person. And that other person is, is beginning to meet that need, and then you're in an emotional affair. You're in that emotional affair. And if that continues, then it will, it'll end up in a full-blown physical affair. And look, it's not because they were romantically or in any other way attracted to that person. It was because they had a bank and they had had withdrawals taking on their respect bank or their security bank. And whether it's criticism or, or nagging or, or whatever, you know, from dominance or control or laziness at home or, you know, just disconnectedness. But they start to feel empty and alone and unimportant. And then they start to get their needs met by somebody else. And that's what leads to affairs. That's why it's so important that we learn to actually pursue each other, even after marriage. 
we have to pursue each other, and you do that by serving each other, meeting the other person's need, not what you think you would want if you were them. What is their need? Now, the question is, how do we put handles on this? How do we pursue our spouse by serving them? Well, when Melissa and I were young, we were actually just dating, and she brought me a triangle. We were struggling with our relationship at the time, and she brought me this triangle, and she put God at the top, and she put her on one side, and she put me on the other side, and she said, currently, we're both pursuing each other. In hindsight, we were pursuing each other because we had holes in our heart, because we needed the other person to complete us. We weren't complete in and of ourselves, and she was smart enough, spiritually mature enough to actually see that that was not working. And so she brought this triangle to me, and she said, if we both pursue God, then we not only get closer to God, but we actually get closer to each other. And so this is the big idea for today. Pillar number two is that we have to pursue our spouse by pursuing God. You pursue your spouse not by pursuing what you want, by trying to get them to fill your needs. That's selfish. The opposite of selfish is this pursuit. And you pursue your spouse by pursuing God, okay? By pursuing a relationship with him, by pursuing the life that he has. And those of you that are single, you will fall into this trap every single time if you're pursuing that other person to fill your needs, if you'll pursue Jesus with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, here's what you'll notice. You'll notice a genuine, deep care and concern for the other person because you become more like him. And then you want to serve them from the inside out because that's part of serving God is by putting others first. You see, and look, God is the model for serving each other. We've got to understand that God didn't create human beings because he needed servants. Look, none of, none of our service is even perfect enough to honor him in the way that he deserves anyway. He, conserved, he created us completely out of love. He watches us day and night. He provides for us. He heals us. He, he makes crooked ways straight for us. He cares. He serves us. He, he paid for our sin. His son, Jesus, Jesus is in heaven. He's serving you right now by interceding for you day and night, continually working on your behalf, continually bringing success into our life. He serves us. And that's not to make us great. It's to win our hearts. Watch this. This is crazy. Luke 12, 27 tells us that there will be a day that he returns and he comes back. And it, he says, it will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Watch what happens. Truly, I tell you, he, speaking of Jesus, when he comes back, he will dress himself how? He's going to put on an apron. He's going to dress himself to serve us. How humbling. He will have them recline at the table and he's going to wait on us. That makes me want to weep. I don't even know if you can imagine Jesus showing up and us sitting down and him serving us. And listen, when we get our hearts in line with being all about him, we become the absolute best in marriage, serving and loving. Don't get God's attributes. Don't get it mixed up. He is a serving and loving God. 
And let me tell you, the best way to build a strong marriage is to develop a heart that is not focused on getting your needs met, but is focused on being like Jesus, pursuing God and loving your spouse and submitting to each other as to the Lord and building a relationship that focuses on meeting needs, not getting your needs met. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the Apostle Paul, he's talking to the church, and he's actually, he's actually talking to them about sex, which is weird that Paul's talking to us about sex, but he does. And so he's talking about everything around sexual intimacy. And this conversation about sexual intimacy, he brings up something about men and women. And he says it this way. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife. Okay, He's talking about sex there. All right, He's, He should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, which means that he should exist only for her. He doesn't take it outside of the marriage. Okay, He's going to meet her needs sexually. And then the next verse says this. Likewise, the wife uh, to her husband. The wife doesn't have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. So it also sounds like the wife should be interested in meeting her husband's needs. Well, yeah, look at the next part. He says, in the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but instead he serves her. He yields it to his wife. So I want to tell you right now that the foundation of this verse does not only apply to sex. He's talking about meeting needs and about living a life in a way that exists to serve the other person and not just focused on getting our needs met, okay? The best thing that we can do is focus on meeting their needs. I don't even know what they need. I don't even think they know what they need. What's an amazing thing to sit down and actually talk about? You see, it's all about being a person who is focused on serving and loving and investing into the one that you love. This is called pursuing. This is how you pursue as you focus on meeting their needs. Philippians 2, 2 through 4 says this. It says, make my joy complete. This is Paul talking. He said, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love like Jesus had is what it's talking about. Being in one spirit and of one mind and do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather into humility, watch this, Value other people above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each one of you to the interest of others. It brings joy when you serve others. And look, Jesus is the one that said, hey, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Do we believe him? He wasn't wrong. That feeling of meeting somebody else's need and serving others, that is a joyful feeling that is way more fulfilling than just having somebody meet your needs all the time. And I don't know if you noticed, but there's a big difference between doing the honeydew list and having joy in serving your wife. Now, that's hard for me. But, but here's what I've learned in their marriage. I've learned that it adds so much value when I come home and, I, look, I don't just get myself a snack. Or feed myself. I could actually bring her something. Hey, honey, would you like something? Would you like anything? Would you like something to drink? Where I don't just sit back and watch TV. And hey, honey, can you give me a drink out of the fridge? Where I get up and I, and I load the dishwasher. I put the dishes away. You know, it takes 10 minutes to do. You know, or I, or I switch the laundry over or whatever. When my heart wants to do it, 
I'm getting joy knowing that I'm actually doing something to serve the one that I love. It's powerful. God demonstrated this for us in Jesus. You think Jesus didn't have joy in serving us? Well, I guess I got to, stupid, stupid humans. No, that wasn't his heart at all. Nobody likes selfish people. Nobody likes to be dominated. Nobody likes dominant bosses, dominant spouses. Nobody likes a domineering coach. Nobody likes selfish people. We all love being around people that think about others above themselves. And, and here's another little tip. I'm going to leave you. All right? This one's free. Don't keep score. This is the number one reason why people stop serving their, their spouse is they start keeping score. I did this, and I did that, and I'm waiting on you to do this, and I'm waiting on you to do that, and you hadn't done anything yet. We're keeping score like it's Super Bowl Sunday. It's, it's 7-0, and if you don't start, start serving, I'm going to stop. And if I do that, it's because I'm not serving Jesus and pursuing Jesus, and I don't understand. I am serving so that I could get. Don't serve to be served. Don't boast about what you do. Don't talk about, well, you know, well, I'm doing the dishes. Just want you to know I'm making the bed. Hey, I'm folding the laundry. Ten to zero. <laughs> Don't keep score. Look at this. Matthew chapter 6. Be careful not to practice your righteousness, all of your works, all your serving in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you got no reward from your father in heaven or your wife at home. I added that last part. Look, love keeps no records of wrongs. In exchange, it keeps no record of rights either. No keeping track of what you've done right. And no keeping track of what they've done wrong. Drop the offenses. Forgive. Focus on serving Jesus by putting other people's needs above your own. So some of you here and you think, you're thinking, man, I feel like I've been doing what you're talking about right now for a really long time, and I'm not seeing any results. I've been sowing seeds, but I'm not seeing any fruit. Here's what I want to encourage you in today, and that's this. The harvest is coming. Hang in there. The harvest is coming. Like, you need to hear that God knows you. He sees you. He sees your heart. He's actively involved in helping you, shoring up your weaknesses, surrounding you with his love. And I want to encourage you that there is a powerful, powerful harvest ahead if you will stay the course. Don't buy the Kool-Aid of this age that, look, marriage is not important, that you cannot be successful in marriage. Everybody divorces. Look, the most sacred institution on this planet is marriage. He designed it to show the world how powerful his love is. Because when two opposite people come together, and it gets deeper than just the sexuality, and deeper than just the physical attraction, and deeper than just the feeling of the oohs and the ahs and the ahs and all of that. No, it's a deep covenant love and bond where only Jesus, only God can unite people together. And that is the most powerful relationship on this planet. And when we actually push through the hard times, we're faithful in what we're doing. We're sowing good seed. I want to encourage you, don't lose heart. Galatians 6, 9, it says, let us not become weary in doing good. 
For in the proper time, guys, in the proper time, man, Mike, I've been doing the right thing. I'm ready for the proper time. In the proper time. You're in the midst of absolutely something amazing and sacred. And if you do not give up in the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Don't give up. Don't keep track of how long you've been sowing seed. And don't give up. Because your marriage is the most powerful thing on this planet for you. And God, when God brings two sacred and amazing people together, and then he sharpens them with each other, which is painful sometimes. If we don't give up. And I know a lot of you, you're thinking about giving up. Some of you have thought about giving up. You've used the D word. And I just want to encourage you. Don't give up. Don't become weary in doing good. Because what God has placed together, that sacred bond, don't destroy it. Now, biblically, there are grounds for divorce that God gives us. Abandonment, somebody leaves you and abandons you. Uh, Adultery is another one, as well as abuse is one. But look, outside of that, whatever happens, God puts you together. Do not destroy the covenant that God created between the two of you. It's special and it's holy. Your harvest is coming. Pursue your your spouse by pursuing God and serving them like he has exemplified for us. Will you stand with me?